This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus, and this is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. So, this is now, and the date of the recording is November 8th, 2020. So, I can tell you we have a reported president-elect in the U.S., which would be Joe Biden and a vice president-elect, Kamala Harris. So, congratulations to them. And truly, I am going to start like going through the OSHA uh, management of budget, their budget that they had uh, projected for 2021, and just going to start going through that again because I believe in the future you're probably going to see uh, some changes with OSHA as far as uh, regulation and a few other things. So time for me to get back into that budget and, and work it out. But today, what I'm going to go over is actually going to go through uh, my thoughts on human and organization performance versus behavioral-based safety. So that's it, HOP versus BBS. So I'm going to actually uh, give you guys what I think on both sides. Just kind of go a very, very, very brief overview on either side. And then from there, I'll just, uh, after the overview, just tell you how I feel on either side. So it's just me, solo this time. And uh, we will go over my feelings on Hop versus BBS right after this word from our sponsor. want to be a safety consultant? Listen to Dr. Jay Allen of Safety FM give his experience after taking the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. I have actually done research on different consultants and looked at different consulting courses and so on. There is a pretty fancy, very expensive consulting course that is out there. I have actually purchased the consulting course, was interested. It has good information. Don't get me wrong. But you have a consulting course that really drives people onto focusing on safety and how to become a safety consultant. I will tell you on your particular course, there was better information in that particular regards than the other consulting course that was more of a generalist form. But I figure I felt like I got more information out of yours on you giving people direct path on what to do step by step. But I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant. Register for the Safety Consultant Blueprint at www.safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Enter code PODCAST for a special discount. Welcome back. One of the jams I made uh, recently. <laughs> so I get to play it for you guys. <laughs> so that's one of the things I truly love to do in my spare time, whenever that is, is write some music. So this one's my vibe in song. Love being able to play royalty free music. 
All right, so let's get into this. So, um, hop human organization performance versus behavior-based safety. I've uh, truly have had so many people ask me about HOP versus BBS, especially since I teach for a course, uh, the Occupational Certified Occupational Safety Specialist course, COSS. So my students that have taken this course that are listening to this podcast kind of know that I, I feel my way around behavior-based safety a lot. And truly, I've uh, written a BBS course for a very famous company out there and I believe in it and I will give you my complete take on both sides but I do have a little bit more understanding on BBS right now so let's uh well actually let me reverse that uh I practiced in hop when I was working for the municipality because we had to have a whole bunch of different things in place. And my philosophy was I am going to use my workers. I was in the middle management uh, where I had um, frontline supervisors underneath me and then some like uh, lead operators and everything else for the shift of uh, basically underneath them. And I really believed in my position that if I could harness my workers, they can solve the problem. So that was just my internal belief because I came up the ranks in what I was doing at the time, wastewater operating. So I was the youngest operator. I started day one in wastewater, not knowing anything. This was 2000. Who am I? (laughs) I think we're not even in the 2000s. This was 94. So back in the 90s, some of you may not even been born then, but I don't even want to mention that. But during that time period, uh, truly that was, uh, I started out as being the the newbie, being the young guy in there and wanting to be able to be heard. So uh, I honestly, honestly believed as I came up the ranks that, uh, that I kept that philosophy of... I believe all levels of the organization has something to say and I could harness them to get the answers I need. I didn't know I was actually dabbling in human and organization performance at the time. Uh, So I said all that just to say, I'm going to tell you first about (laughs) BBS, but I actually didn't know I was a hop guy first. So anyway... Behavior-based safety, as it lays out, and a lot of people have uh, have really believed in it. I get a lot of calls to help people with uh, with BBS, and then of course with uh, with teaching it. So, I'm going to give you the philosophy behind uh, my philosophy. Let's put it this way: my philosophy behind BBS. So, the concept of behavioral-based safety is if you are going to uh, look at the human as being what is said in the BBS world to be 85 to 95% of an incident has a human uh, component to it. And you shouldn't place blame on the individual, but it's just recognizing that uh, if that high percentage is a behavioral factor that came to the tipping or breaking point of wherever the incident was, then it would make sense to observe 
behaviors and then work it backwards to see, all right, I see this behavior that I observed, and now let's get into the mind of the worker to figure out why they did what they did. So that's the, the, the pure concept of that. And then around there was built systems. So the systems would be actual observations. Well, first you need to have uh, whatever tool you're using as far as um, the BBS worksheet. And it has to be documented behaviors. So they talk behavior is something that you could see, something that someone's doing as opposed to an attitude. And you want to document it as safe or at risk. At risk means it's going to give this person an injury or illness. Safe means, all right, top of the line, safety and health way of doing this job. So with the safe behaviors, that should be the thing that is observed uh, even rewarded in some cases, I've seen that. But it's also the thing that you want to focus on as opposed to the at-risk behavior because then the at-risk behavior would be truly the the outliers and that's your goal where it's the oddity. The norm would be the actual workers working safe. And that's my interpretation of BBS. So there might be some other people who are thinking of the purest form, or I should say the earliest form, where it is the workers' actions are going to cause this accident. There's more workers that are causing accidents or incidents, if you want to even say it that way, 85 to 95%. And now I need to manage this individual, one individual at a time. I'm going to monitor them, going to watch their behavior, and then we're going to tell them, don't behave this way or coach them through that. I don't believe in that side of BBS. If I do coach or tell people about coaching, I want to coach safe behaviors more than I do at-risk behaviors, but it's not coaching as in you should do this. It's coaching as in, why did you do this? Help me understand two-way street. Uh, what was the decision that, uh, that you thought at this time was more prudent for me to do this? So is it like a bending at the waist instead of the knees when you're picking up something for manual handling? All right. I have observed some safe behaviors, people bending at the knees and they're lifting like we, we instruct them to. So during the observation, I'm noting that as safe behavior observed. I talk to this worker and I say, all right, I noticed that you've done this. Why did you do it? Active listening. I want to make sure that I hear what they're saying and if there's anything that they're working around. Even though they did the safe behavior, they may have worked around something that the system set them up for. You know, hey, I had to bend to the knees. However, I have to go towards my left and my right because uh, there's a little wall over here during the place that our, uh, our staging area is. I can't get over that. So I need to tip a little, but I'm going to do this thing because I don't want to hurt my back. I hurt my back once before and I don't want that to happen again. All right. So if that's the case, then truly the worker is telling you that they had to figure stuff out, even though they're doing it right. So the coaching would be more of active listening and then, you know, um, asking them some questions such as, you know, um, uh, was it easier for you to do it this way? 
Uh, maybe another question could be, have you observed other people doing it the other way? Have you said anything? Or, uh, And it's more of an understanding session, if you will. And what can I do better? What can the organization do better? So it makes it easier to continue this behavior, to continue what you're doing. Or if you feel rushed in this moment, and that's another one of the things you really want to find out is in that moment, because you're only getting a snapshot. So in that moment, what made you make this decision? Same thing with the at-risk behavior. In this moment, what made you make this decision? It could even be, man, my knees hurt. <laughs> my knees have been hurting like you won't believe. And now I got to bend at the waist because if I bend in the knees, I don't think I'll come back up. All right, that's fair enough, you know. You get older and maybe a little heavier, who knows? In those cases, you might be like, all right, I'm bending at the waist. I know I shouldn't, but oh, that pain. So maybe it could be something like that. And then if you're going to chastise the worker uh, for at-risk behavior during that time, you messed up your system, might as well pack it up. It's supposed to be a learning opportunity, not a punitive opportunity. So therefore, it's an amnesty for any punitive actions during those uh, behavioral observations. And if you have a team with you doing the observation, I would also say the frontline supervisor shouldn't grab the guy later on and say, hey man, you messed it up for me. You're so embarrassing doing that observation and here you are doing the wrong thing, things that they told you not to do. All right, the supervisor just messed up your system. In this case, what'll happen is it's going to be um, harder for you to get the trust of the worker and that's what you need because the system's supposed to be bottom up as opposed to top down where it could be peer coaching from time to time and when it's peer coaching again it's not peer harping it's going to be uh, understanding session back and forth and uh, from there let's get to the next step because I want to make sure we, we go through the cycle uh, you get your your observations, your notes from your coaching, everything else you put it into your database. And then the database is going to be the first time your baseline. So the first time, um, let's say, do an announce visit so everybody knows. That's going to be, you know, you can't baseline that because you'll have what's called the Hawthorne effect where people are going to know that they're being watched and they're going to act their best. Uh, so probably your second one with your first one as a reference point can be a, a baseline for you. And this is data. So therefore, you pick one behavior, you stick with that behavior, and you're going to keep working at, I would say monthly uh, is probably the minimum because you need a lot of data points in order for this thing to work. And therefore, that's why BBS is considered continuous improvement. You can't do it as a one-off. You can't do it as, oh, let's do a, a check you know, this quarter or this semi-annual increment. It has to be consistent so you can get data. The more quality, quality data in, the better the system will be. All right? So that's the, uh, the idea behind it. And then once you get this data, you analyze it, you go through the uh, feedback from everybody. And again, 
employees' participation is very important. You find out how to break the barriers that they told you about, and then you go ahead and do this thing over again and do another one, and you're keeping, let's say, first time at it, you have two safe behaviors out of 10. Then you're going to make a plan and say, okay, what can we do to increase this maybe 25% or get three more people with safe behavior when we do this again? And then whatever plan you make, some people people may go to the slogans, some people may go to reward systems, some people may go to uh, some sort of uh, uh, training, something. And then when you get done with that, then you keep going until you have what your behavioral mastery is. You know, maybe 8 out of 10 is your behavioral mastery or maybe 10 out of 10 of, you know, safe behaviors. But there's some mitigation to get from what you saw initially, your baseline, and then your reference point. So you always have to keep that data, get that data going in. And it's going to give you spreadsheets and charts. And uh, you could even create, in some cases, depending on what you're observing, uh, different clusters of where you have at-risk behaviors or even safe behaviors, and then even departments. You know, maintenance has been doing more uh, safe behaviors than operations or something similar to that. And then reward. Reward the good stuff. That makes everybody feel good. And it's continuous. You can't get out of your safety management system. You can't get stop doing your JSAs because we're doing BBS. It actually works together. you got to keep it on. So that's the BBS side. So let's talk about the human and organization performance. It's really uh, coming from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. They're, uh, the, the nuclear side always dealt with human performance. And the mindset is the humans are there and they are trusted, uh, valuable people. However, we know that there's certain things that they could gravitate to and they call them performance traps, right? So if there's a few things that they could gravitate to, then maybe we should make it up where we could, um, we could monitor that and make a, a participative uh, part where you feel safe enough to tell us it's management and we value that. We seek for that. And I remember um, in uh, Todd Compliance's book, uh, one of the things that he always says is, you know, learning has to be something that you do continuously and is a, a deliberate means, which is actually a principle. So um, that's one of those things. And actually, let's, uh, let's do the principles. Uh, let's do the principles as related to um, the book from uh, Todd Conklin, which was, uh, I guess, Five Principles of Hop, <laughs> right? Uh, as easy as it is. Uh, so uh, his version of it was, number one, error is normal, meaning everyone is supposed, everyone's coming to work. They're doing their jobs. They're doing great work. When there is an incident, it's probably a one-off or, or something that's not the norm. So therefore, you're not going to start blaming the worker uh, because it's not usual. It's the usual work and operation. Everything's functioning well. And that brings us into the principle, too, where blame doesn't fix anything. So therefore, you can blame all you want, but what's that going to fix? So that's... 
kind of like what I mentioned with um, with BBS. You really don't want to. If it works well, you don't want to blame the worker for the behavior you just observed. You want to understand in a thoughtful, caring, empathetic manner. So the principle, too, where blame fixes nothing is absolutely right. Because truly, um, people get defensive. They're going to clam up. They're going to feel attacked. And you're not going to get anywhere. There's no learning involved in that. And that actually brings us to three. Learning is deliberate. Something you got to do. It's a learning experience every day. You're engaging every level of the organization to learn what they do, how they do in good times and bad times and in different times. It's all about figuring out the process, how the human interfaces with the process, everything that goes top to bottom on uh, the organization. How can we do better? Uh, what you're feeling about here? If there's an incident, what were you thinking at the time you were doing this? Try to get some context into everything. And um, that's the next principle, which is context influences behavior. So I do incident investigations, and I'm actually doing one uh, uh, for a workshop November 7th. 17th to the 19th, and I go through both BBS and HOMP, and I do think about context as being, and this is actually one of the things that uh, the human performance model was, is uh, why did this person do what they did, uh, and basically why did, uh, why did they do it, what did they do, and for what reason did they do this? And it's all time sensitive, so you have to focus in on it right, you know, right at that moment. It's kind of like um, with the ABCs. Ever heard of that one? All right, let me wait for your response. Did you hear about ABCs? <laughs> this is back to behavior. I'm sorry, I'm messing up uh, the the five principles. I think I was on four with context and behavior. Uh, there's a a principle out there that is the ABC model of behavior. Behavior is to be in the ABC. A is the antecedent, meaning there is some thought in the worker's mind directly before the behavior, the closest to the behavior and the, the thought behind that worker at that time, it would be the antecedent. And then the consequence after, uh, the t- mostly the effective and timely consequence, the meaningful consequence will determine again if this person's going to do this behavior one more time. So the ABC on that model would say um, worker's supposed to wear a seatbelt when he gets on the forklift. And he knows that no one does that. He could see all these other operators on their forklift not one of them are wearing their seatbelt. So in his mind, he's thinking, eh, no one really cares about this thing. It's not serious. So he's going to go ahead, get on that forklift, not put on the seatbelt, get his work done. No one catches him. There's no uh, nothing. That was a positive consequence to an at-risk behavior, and it's going to keep getting repeated to the point where I've been working here for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and I've never had an issue for not putting on my seatbelt. So those those are some of those things that you're going to get ingrained. And then there's also the, the theory of everybody's action starts with trigger thought behavior. So there's a trigger, then there's a thought, and there's behavior. So maybe the trigger was, uh, 
I've got to get this thing done. It's four. The clock would be the trigger. Time factor, which is also one of the things they call about the human human performance snares. Um, the time constraint. Looking at the clock. Hey, it's like a just before break time. So I'm going to go ahead and get this thing done real quick and it's going to set up my afternoon after break and lickety split, I'll be out here at 4 o'clock when I'm supposed to without being working late. So the trigger, the looking at the clock and then processing the time led to the thought, hmm, I could do this real quick. And then after that thought, the actual action. So those are uh, some of the thought process behind human behavior in those ways. And there's a few other theories. You know, I'm not a behavioralist. I'm not a a psychologist in any way, but uh, those are some of the theories that would go behind that. So let me... uh, let me let me finish up the the five principles of hop before I go anywhere else. So the five principles we talked about one error is normal. Two blame fixes nothing. Three learning is deliberate, and you gotta you know truly truly go at it each time. Um, context is. Context influences behavior. And then uh, leaders, how they respond to failure matters. So this kind of goes back to when I was a leader and I was telling you guys, I had people above me. So I had like upper management above me and executive director and a board. Uh, So they were above me. I was in the middle. And then behind, below me, I had two levels of uh, supervision. So when I first got started... People were used to the old person in my position, and that meant they were going to cover up everything that they could so they didn't get in trouble. And in some cases, they would, uh, you know, point the finger, you know, who did it? I don't know. Everyone's pointing to the rest of them. So what I had to do is break that. And I, um, one of the first things I decided to do was to be transparent uh, about me, about the organization. And the way I was transparent about myself and the organization is without fail, every month I did a meeting with every shift. It was a 24-hour shift. So I met with every shift every month, and we talked about not only the organization as we are now, where we want to be in the future, what's coming up from people ahead of me, meaning my executive director and board members, and then also I took an opportunity to listen to them and say, hey, what's going on? Uh, How can I help you? Uh, What can I reinforce? Uh, Do you need me to go to upper management in any way and uh, give you some, some support or whatever? So I decided to be completely transparent to them and then also whenever there was people coming over my over my frontline supervisors heads or anything to blame or whatever get the boss in trouble for something yeah all right time out <laughs> go grab the supervisor you and me together let's all get in this group and let's talk this thing out and I had to referee certain things and uh, truly I wanted to make sure that I was I was thinking about the worker as if they are they're not here to lie to me they have a grievance that needs to be met same thing with the supervisor in a different tone supervisor wants to get the job done so did i do something that made them feel like they had to be overbearing or did i do something that you know affected the way their relationship was together so i valued that 
and I wanted the workers to come to me, wanted management and uh, frontline supervisors to come to me, and I acted appropriately, accordingly. I didn't always, you know, give them a quick answer right then. Sometimes it takes some time. I really had to dig and investigate, and I told them that, you know, hey, um, give me some time. Let me work this thing out and find out what I can, and then I followed up, gave everybody um, uh, some sort of process update throughout it. So they felt more comfortable coming to me, and I tried to be a leader. And today, I still have people calling me from my my old days with the old uh, company I used to work for for the government. So I, I think it worked well. So I believe that fifth principle of HOP, how leaders respond to failure matter. If you just punish people for coming to you because they find a fault or you want to support your supervisors in such a way that you don't really listen to the workers, they're going to hide stuff from you. That's not good. It's going to end up affecting the organization as a whole. So that's uh, one of the things that I truly, truly, truly try to avoid. So in saying that, now you actually know my stance on Hop versus BBS. You didn't know? Well, here it is. I remember in uh, Sam Goodman's show, the, the Hop Nerd, I said to him, I was like, I'm 60-40. Yeah, I'm 60-40 uh, Hop. BBS or BBS Hop depends on the situation. I do think that there are some circumstances where there's a behavior that's happening that needs to change, and I will work with the team to, to figure it out. There's some... <laughs> I had to go beyond safety in my position, so I had to think of operational needs. But then I focused completely into safety when I was safety consultant only. Some of those operational things still stuck with me. The principles of leading still stuck with me. So I know there's some actions such as I remember one guy was sleeping on the night shift, midnight shift, and he let a tank, a process tank overflow. Alarms are going up left and right, but he was completely knocked out for a good two hours. And there was just ruts in the road from flow going from one side to the next, and it was complete negligence. You can't let that stuff go. <laughs> you just can't. Uh, so there's a trickle-down effect that goes with actions, and I believe that holding people accountable for things like that is necessary. How you hold them accountable will always be assigned to the rest of the organization. Is it done fairly? Is it done timely? Is it done uh, evenly? Kind of like a, like a McGregor's hot stove theory, if you haven't heard of that one. So um, McGregor was a, a, a theorist, and he, uh, Douglas McGregor, he's the one who also did the XY uh, theories of personalities to dominance type. So uh, in McGregor's theory... He believed, especially with um, with the hot stove one, uh, the hot stove theory was this. You put your hand on the hot stove, and the hot stove is going to burn you regardless. It's going to burn you if you touch it one time, two times, three times. It's going to burn you the same. Uh, no matter who you are, you could be the owner of the house and you touch a hot stove, you're going to get burned. Uh, if you're going to uh, 
basically, there's a warning too because it's glowing nice and red. So you get warmed in your head. You see that red. You know because of past experience that you touch this, you're going to get yourself burned. So I also believe in that um, in that theory, that hot stove theory. So in my my safety and health belief now, the way that I consult now, the way that I tell my my clients now always goes back to when I was a manager and goes back and I think of how I felt each level of those ranks as I became uh, where I ended up as, as a, a middle-level manager. So that is why I'm both, okay? And the course I'm going to teach on November 17th through the 19th, you could go to sheldonprimus.com backslash events with an S, sheldonprimus.com backslash events with an S. And then you'll be able to, to sign up for that incident investigation course. I'm going to go through HOP, BBS. I'm going to go through uh, incidents, how they happen, how to dissect it. We're going to go through all the different models of incident causation all the way back to you know the three-phase and the domino theories and everything else. Uh, and then from there, we'll even talk about Swiss cheese with James Reason's theory. And um, even Heinrich, yeah, H.W. Heinrich, he's got a place in there, so I'm going to give you more of the, the history. Um, and I'm, my mindset is I'm going to give you the background. We're going to process this stuff in a workout in, um, in workshops. And then after that, we're going to also finish up with how do you do the paperwork? How do you do the remediation? How do you present what your findings are so that you can actually, you know, leave this thing and you'll know that you'll be better? It's going to be one of those losses that will be where there's a pure loss and there's a speculative loss. So speculative loss is, yeah, this thing is terrible, but it wasn't catastrophic. So that's uh, one of the things we'll go through. So get a chance. Go to that page, sheldonprimus.com backslash events. And go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM.